You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing. Creator and host, Ken Vellante. Editor and producer, Peter Bauer. Uh, This is Ken Vellante with the Something Rather Than Nothing podcast. And before we begin uh, this episode, I would like to acknowledge uh, that this episode uh, is being recorded uh, on occupied uh, native lands uh, in the state of Oregon and the city of Albany, uh, Oregon, which historically belonged to the Kalapuya uh, tribe. I'm very excited to introduce uh, Rosalie uh, Fish, who is a um, member of the Muckleshoot and Cowlitz tribes, and um, very excited to have her uh, as a guest on this podcast uh, to talk about her uh, her advocacy, about her running, uh, about herself, and uh, and about art and a bit of uh, bigger questions uh, around uh, philosophy. So. I just wanted to really just welcome you, uh, Rosalie, and thank you for taking the time to uh, join this podcast. Yeah, thank you. Um, I would just like to start off to introduce myself in my language. We are Rosalie Fish Sitsta, Buckleshooth Abshad. So I just said, hello, my name is Rosalie Fish, and I live on the Muckleshoot Reservation. Um, and so my native language is called the Hushutsi language, and that's what I practice and make an effort to introduce myself in. Yeah, thank you for thank you for doing that. Um, could you tell us uh, a bit about you know where you come from, uh, your tribe, and maybe your earlier years, what what your experiences were, or what type of you know young child you were? Yeah, definitely. So I was born on the Muckleshoot Reservation, um, where I lived with, I had two families since my parents were divorced, so uh, two separate nuclear families that I lived with. Um, And I was also a big part of my Muckleshoot canoe family and my powwow culture. So I really did grow up um, with that community, with my reservation, and really with my traditions and my culture, it was very important to me growing up and still is. I spent a lot of my childhood dancing at powwows, performing with my canoe family and singing traditional songs at events. And these types of practices have really just become part of who I am. And when I go home, it's honestly, it's every day. Just part of my everyday schedule is is getting out to those um, those cultural events and being with my family and being with my community because it really is. Um, while I have my own nuclear families, our community is very united and very present with the way that we interact with each other and with our culture. And uh, you had mentioned some of the things that you know we you do with the traditional dance and in music um, was. Was was art in in culture and expression a big part of um, y- you know your your formative years? I mean, I know you mentioned that, but could you go into a little bit more about the things you experienced and how uh, it it created a way that you relate to you know cult your culture and your art? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's what I really love about um, 
my traditional cultures and the things that come with that are the various forms of art that I'm able to express myself in and also express my identity and my heritage. So one is um, that I've mentioned a few times and is very universal around um, Native American communities is um, powwow. And so we have different um, categories of dance within powwow, powwow culture. And um, there's one specific story about the jingle dress type of dance and it's about um, a young girl who is sick, and then she's given a jingle dress, and they say, have her dance in this jingle dress, and it will heal her. And that's kind of the, um, I guess, the origin of some of these powwow dances and, cult and traditions is that it's meant to heal. A lot of our art forms are meant for, for spiritual healing. And so that's how, um, I guess, my culture and my dance and my art, different forms of art and expression have really become important to me as a Native American individual because they do represent uh, methods of healing and methods of also ways to connect with our heritage and with um, the things and the people who have made it possible for us to be here today. Thank you for that. Um, I want to go to the the importance of uh running uh for you and uh in particular um for some listeners it'd be no secret that uh you became uh, quite well known um in in the press uh and as far as uh your appearance of of, of having a red painted hand over uh your mouth and also on your leg, um, the initials MMIW. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you can you tell us about where that, what made you decide that? And I know that you you adopted that um, that that act um, mm -hmm. from from uh, another that had done it, a, a, a runner who had run on a Boston Marathon, and I believe she's taken on a mentorship role. Can you, can you take us through your decision to do that and what that path has been like for you? Yeah, definitely. I can, I can um, start at the, at the, I guess, the very beginning when um, I found out about the missing and murdered Indigenous women epidemic. Um, it's a crisis that has been recently named, and it pretty much encompasses the, um, the institutional and social issues that create um, a very, very vulnerable environment for indigenous women. So Native American women are extremely vulnerable to all forms of violence and are experiencing violence at um, much higher rates than any other demographic within the U.S. So an example of this would be um, in some counties, uh, Native American women are 10 times more likely to be murdered than the national average. Um, along with this, um, with this high rate, that means that um, murder is a third leading cause of death in Native women. And so, um, unsurprisingly, living on a Native, Native American reservation, I saw a lot of this violence, violence against women. And it wasn't until I became a little bit older that I realized that the violence that was happening on my reservation was actually present in Native communities across, across the, the United States and even in Canada. And that's when I really felt like this was something that 
needed to change. And more importantly, it was something that the world needed to see because I wasn't even, I wasn't seeing any type of acknowledgement. I was 16 years old at the time and I saw no articles about women going missing or I didn't see any, any news coverage when, um, when a community member was murdered. And so that, um, that led me to become inspired by the Boston Marathon runner, Jordan Marie Daniel, who she took a stand and she decided to do something when she painted a red handprint over her mouth, along with the initials MMIW down her leg during her Boston Marathon run. And she raised a lot of awareness about this epidemic. And she showed me through her example that I could do something. I was a runner and still am. And she showed me that I didn't need to be well-known or even even really an adult to make a difference. I just had to have a platform. Yeah, and it's 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 a striking it's a striking uh, visual, and I think that's part of why it's so effective. Um, and to be quite plain with you, I mean, it's it's effective for me because I, I did not know the scope. Uh, of the issue or even that it had been a, you know, just the extent of the issue in that, you know, how it was being talked about and or not being talked about and ignored. But within it, with it, within your community, what was the reality of, you know, outside of outside of your visibility? Um, how long has there been a, a vying to get attention uh, over this over this issue? Uh, in the kind of general public sphere and public policy and legislators, I mean, how long, how long has this been going on? Um, and unfortunately, this type of violence has been occurring for generations. For I would even say like decades. Um, I even during the siege of Wounded Knee, um, kind of based in the late 1800s, uh, I'm reading this book by Mary Crowdog called Lakota Woman. And she's talking about um, her experience as um, an activist. And um, yeah, reading it, she even mentions female Native American activists going missing and nobody talking about it. And so this has been going on since colonial times. And just now it's starting to get some, some light brought onto it and to really have a name focused on it because at first it really was just this is the way that our lives are and we have no control over it and now that with the urban indian health institute who's in seattle they actually got um some research together they went out on very little resources um, because nobody was really supporting them and they found all of the information they needed to really put some numbers on this and get also a diverse number of cases from all across the U.S. that showed not only is this happening at extreme rates, but it's happening all over the country. And so I think a lot of, it wasn't necessarily that Native communities didn't know it was happening. It was more, we didn't realize that it was happening to all of us. And we didn't realize that it could or should be named. It should be known. And more importantly, um, that it should be addressed because we're just now, and I mean in in 2019, finally getting a little bit of acknowledgement from these bigger populations and even um, even legislation. And one of the things um, 
at the beginning uh, of the podcast with the land acknowledgement uh, that that I announced. Um, we had a pause of about 10 seconds, and uh, I was correlating that to that ratio of uh, 10 times that in, in some counties, Native American women are, are 10 times more likely to be murdered than, than the national average. It's an absolutely shocking and, and astounding uh, thing to hear, you know, as, as, as a human. And mm-hmm. for me, I got to tell you, Rosalie, I mean, I, I'm, I'm extremely inspired by what you've done. And I would actually say that you're, you're a hero of mine in the sense that yeah. uh, the, 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 what you're doing is, is, is great and important and I affirm it. But for you, it places you in a, in a, in a difficult position as, as, as advocating uh, as you are and doing so visibly what has been what has been the reception to, uh, to 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 your running to your act to your bringing awareness to this issue? What what's that been like for you? I think um, you know being an advocate for my people and for my community is very rewarding in a lot of ways. It, to do nothing is to give up and. Each day, that's what keeps me going, is to know that I can never give up. That's one of the most painful things that I can do. No matter you know how emotionally scarring or emotionally tolling some of the work I do and, and you know the cases that I read, it can be very, just very heavy. But I think to not do anything is much more of a disappointment. It would take much more of a toll you know, on, my, on my psyche and my emotional health if I were to ever stop. And I think a very big misconception about activists and especially indigenous activists is it feels like something that we chose to do, which is not always the case. I would say that I didn't necessarily aim to be an activist or to be in the public eye, but rather I was tired of seeing my communities live in a way that was in violence. And I was tired of seeing indigenous women, indigenous girls become targets, and I was tired of living in fear. And so I wouldn't necessarily say that I wanted to be an activist, but more, I could not accept the conditions that indigenous people were living with anymore. Yeah, and and, and, and thank you. I know the, I know the importance, uh, just from hearing uh, the, your TED Talk, and, and, and listeners, uh, Rosalie has a TED Talk, uh, that she had presented in Seattle that you can find on, on YouTube. I highly recommend, um, that you, <laughs> that you listen to that, but in, in listening to those things, uh, I, I, I felt and knew after listening to you, how important running was, uh, for you both physically and mentally. And that kind of spurred my thinking, uh, I had mentioned to you, my, my brother's a runner and I'm very close to my brother. He lives out, uh, out East, but, I think I saw for him experientially and and what it did for him in his to- teenage years, uh, just 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 that outlet, just that um, place to put all the energies that we have inside of us as humans. I think we need to put them places. Um, mm-hmm. For you, what what is what is running done? Just specifically, you running and and excelling in running. What has it done for you for you as a person? 
So I kind of consider my running and, and how my relationship with it in three stages when I talk about it. So um, I first started running actually as um, a method of recovery because I was recovering from a suicide attempt. I was in my ninth grade year of high school and I was struggling with my mental health and with my my environment socially and um, I was in a very bad place. And the one thing that would keep me healthy and keep me on track and stop me from relapsing was running because it, like you said, it gave me that outlet and it gave me a place to go when I didn't, when I felt like I had nowhere to go and I knew that I didn't want to be there wherever I was. And it, it can feel like you're stuck and running gave me somewhere to go. And so that was, um, that was how running initially became um, an outlet for me. And then I moved to a tribal school, Muckleshoot Tribal School, um, my sophomore year where I ran track and field there. And that was when I really began to notice the, um, the bias and prejudice that can appear in sports. So sometimes I would try to go to a track meet where my time had qualified, but because I had Muckleshoot Tribal School on the uniform, they wouldn't accept me. And I, I faced a lot of um, just discrimination because of my school and where I came from and, and it being a tribal school. And so then running took its second form where I used it as a sign to um, stand up for myself. Now I could show up to meets and with tribal school, Muckleshoot Tribal School on my uniform, I could win and I could prove these biases wrong. And so that's how my um, the second second stage of my running took place was um, really just through battling discrimination that I faced in sports and to represent my community in a positive light where where I had control, right? And um, and then the last stage and the stage that I'm in now with my running is now I can use running to actually demand acknowledgement. And so that's what I did um, with the red handprint at my state track meet um, in Washington of 2019 is I painted the Rand handprint over my mouth as a way to represent the historical violence that has happened um, through my ancestry and even with my great-grandparents and my grandma and my mom even. Um, it's to represent them and um, the historical violence that they faced and the way that people have tried to silence this movement. And so that's what I used the red handprint on my face for, along with the letters MMIW, just as Jordan Marie Daniel did. And um, so that was how I was able to demand acknowledgement. I was able to um, represent not only my people, but an issue that affects us very greatly. And that's, that's the stage that my running has taken on now. Yeah, and did you, when you started running, did you expect to excel at it like you have? Uh, no, I definitely never anticipated that I would be um, too too good of a runner, for sure. I didn't even actually think that um, my freshman year of high school, I didn't think that I would even be going to college or running in college. Yeah, and what, um, in particularly, what, what, uh, what, what distances and events uh, do you run? So at my state track meet, um, I dedicated four Indigenous women um, to four events. So at my state track meet in, high, in my senior year of high school in 2019, 
Um, I ran the 400-meter race, the 800-meter race, the 1600-meter race, and the 3200-meter race. Um, now, here that I'm a freshman in college, um, I run anywhere from the 800-meter race to the half marathon. The um, and it's it's quite an array, <laughs> quite of array in a, of 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 events, and um, I'm glad to hear, uh, you know, about your success in doing that, and uh, I'm also glad for the place that it's it's uh, held in your life. I've Again, I, I myself, I when I was younger, I ran, but I, I didn't continue doing it. And uh, through my brother, I've known a lot of runners, and I think there's something special about runners that I've always connected to. Like, just <laughs> they're you know they're a motley crew, and they have this streak in in all of them. And uh, I've just always appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always appreciated that. Uh, there's a there's a question um, that. I was wondering about when you um, placed the red handprint uh, on on your face. I mean, was there a sense in, in you know, uh, in talking about art that did you feel like that was an artistic expression that you were doing away from the politics? But did you feel like that was um, a part of your cultural expression and in an artistic statement of sorts? Yeah, I would definitely say that um, really the handprint is very artistic in, in the things that it represents and um, how powerful it is. Everybody that I've spoken to says that the handprint really affected them, that it struck them and it really stopped them in their tracks even. And I think that's because even when I wear the handprint, it is very overbearing to me. Um, the handprint, it really does represent um, um a hand holding your mouth closed like you can't speak and I think a great example of that is um, indigenous people in general and activists during the American Indian movement um, were killed and and supposedly gone missing right they they were murdered and and hidden as a symbol to say you know that we don't that the that the bigger and dominant cultures and populations did not want Native people to have power or did not want them to strive for better lives. And it really is a way to represent all types of violence that have silenced Native people from speaking and from and from having a seat at the table. And so I think when people see that handprint, I think it, I think it relays it very accurately. And that's why it's so striking is because it is a very powerful and very heavy topic and it's something that I even struggle with when I put on the paint. I do feel heavy. I feel that emotional weight that um, a lot of my ancestors and people who are still alive today who are above me who have faced this type of violence. Part of what you've done, and you alluded to it, to the four women that you ran for, and I think that's in the background of the, you know, what's 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 on your body when you run in, in the background of who you're running for. What has that experience done for you um, as far as running, creating visibility uh, for those that, you know, are forgotten or at risk of being forgotten or ignored? What What is that? How's that impacted you when you're running for them? Um, I think that running for Indigenous women is a very almost bittersweet 
feeling um, is a very painful thing to do. And so it really does depend on how I look at it, how much strength I have when um, when I'm thinking about this, because there are days where it it's easy to be and feel a little bit weak about this topic. It's easy to feel like and just really think and absorb the sadness that the relatives have when they're talking about um, their daughter or sister or mother who is no longer with them because of this neglect, this institutional and social neglect. And it's really something that, um, based on your perspective, it's it can be either way. It can be something that is empowering, that I get to demand acknowledgement, and it can be something that is very overbearing and emotionally tolling. Yeah, and it, it, it do... Do you still um, so what what's what's happening now? I mean, you still run with the the handprint on and, and bring visibility to MMIW. Uh, Have you found that um, there's kind of this continued uh, attention with you running with that now is just does it feel like kind of just part of of who, who you are compared to when, you know, you first started doing it? I would say that I've seen a lot of progress within the last year that I genuinely did not um, anticipate. I'm seeing um, missing and murdered Indigenous women cases being picked up by these large media and news companies. I'm seeing these big, powerful infrastructures actually starting to take a stance. And I'm seeing it addressed even with our presidential candidates and with our president. And I'm very optimistic about the changes that are in place and in the laws that are being discussed that will create efforts to protect indigenous women and girls and also with that right and protect all women i think it's um it's great to hear that there's been uh, progress on this on this and um i'm really glad uh, that 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 you're talking about it and um I, I in the back of my mind, um, you know, I always wonder about the the news cycle and and the attention you know that that can be paid um, to this. But I think it's been quite inspiring, both your actions and also seeing even just following you know the hashtags uh, related to the advocacy of MMIW and its uh, its its connection to larger struggles I've seen uh, in Canada. Uh, over the um, pipe, uh, pipe, uh, pipe, sorry, pipeline um, uh, plans, and just kind of these continued affront and attacks uh, against Native peoples, seeing all these issues uh, being connected in that way has brought me greater awareness on you know uh, what is happening, and um, I, I've just been excited to see that it's 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 been a larger connecting to larger issues um, overall, and it's inspiring. And I, I, I really hope and, and will do everything I can, and hope listeners will um, to make sure we you know discuss this issue and um, see some 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 changes. Like I said, it was just shocking to hear that this was going on. I know, uh, not being a native myself, but haven't studied a lot of Native American history. I know there's large uh, components of this that have, that are deep within the history um, uh, of this country, but I'm still hopeful with all your action um, in, in many others um, that will continue to see progress and actually just quite resistance um, to what we've seen. 
connected to that, Rosalie, um, there's the main question in, in the show um, that, that I posed to you of uh, why is there something rather than nothing? And I also mentioned it in a couple of different forms of like, you know, are you trying to create, you know, a visibility from from erasure? Are you trying to give voice um, to where there's been silence? But I was just wondering your answer, however you want to take it, to the question is, why is there something rather than nothing? For me, when I think about, um, you know, that, that something, that, that thing that really gives you passion to keep going, to go against the current, or maybe even um, just to not stay snag- stagnant, to not, to not stay still, to keep moving, is um, for me that, that something is the effort and the resilience that I've seen through my ancestors. It's the resilience that I see who my great-grandparents who were actually in boarding schools and who have, despite that, done their best to raise normal, happy, healthy families despite what was taught to them, which was violence and, and abuse. And through that, I'm, I'm seeing even in the American Indian movement and these types of... Um, these types of, I guess, activists that were before my time who were fighting for my rights and even who's now affects the rights that I have today and, and how I'm able to maneuver in my environment and in this, in the environment of the U.S. And it's, that's, that's a something I would say that, that is <laughs> better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, uh, Rosalie, I was wondering, um, and I think it's super important um, uh, to to give you this time to help steer me, help steer folks who are interested uh, both in learning about this issue, the history of it, and also advocating for it. If you could um, let folks know how they may connect to whether whether it's you, uh, to the issue, where to find resources, where to learn more, what Mm -hmm. to read. Uh, who to listen to, those type of things. Can you can you guide us through from your perspective what would be helpful in, in following up? Yeah, absolutely. The Urban Indian Health Institute, um, so they're just U-I-H-I. Um, so they're in Seattle, but they have a website, and they are so amazing with their data collection and with creating some numbers that actually give us evidence and support when we're trying to advocate for this issue. And so that's... Um, one organization that I always tell people to go check out to read their things because their reports also are very easy to read. They make them um, actually artistically um, very visual, but also um, very accurate and understandable at the same time. So that's that's one institution that I would totally recommend that anybody supports just because they are very good at what they do. Um, another I think another organization that is um, very impactful is the Sovereign Bodies Institute. Um, that's just another one that um, is continuously fighting for indigenous rights and um, our rights as, as sovereign nations, um, as nations that are um, in compliance with the U.S., but also separate in, in um, a few ways. And then um, I think one thing that a lot of people can do, or honestly anybody can do as long as they have a social media account is to, when they see um, missing or murdered Indigenous women um, posts, missing missing persons posters, um, to share them, even though 
it's really just a way to get our relatives' names out there and um, to make sure that they're seen and that they're visible. And I, I personally share um, all of the posters and information that I see on my social media. And there's also various um, social media accounts that their whole page is dedicated to finding those posters that have been neglected by their, um, their local media and news sources and, and sharing them on their pages so that they're seen. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, and what I've seen uh, is that there, there's also there's more there seems to be more reporting on this. And um, I've even seen um, a couple books. Uh, one might I think was entitled The, the Highway of Tears um, around uh, this issue. And uh, I think it's safe to say we're seeing more. Would it be safe to say published uh, reports and in writing about this issue? Yeah, absolutely. I'm seeing uh, a lot more support and, um, you know, just more and more evidence gathered. The more that we're showing there's a need to research this issue, um, we're getting more support to put the funds into doing so, into publishing works about it, and therefore um, creating a lot more awareness. I really think that the awareness level that um, the MMIW epidemic has right now has been one of the highest that it's ever been. And uh, thank you for, you for your work on that. Again, uh, Rosalie Fish, um, our guest uh, on this episode. Uh, again, Rosalie, um, you're absolutely inspiring. And I appreciate uh, the acts of courage um, that, that, that you uh, have, have taken in order to connect me um, uh, with this issue and uh, hopefully um, connect others uh, to make to make progress um, in an issue that I know has impacted you uh, directly and your people directly. And I honestly, I think it impacts all of us when something of this scope and this nature um, is happening. I think it's all of our issue. And I, I don't think it's a, a separate issue for humans who care about uh, one another. And I think um, I just, mm -hmm. I just find what you've done uh, inspiring. I want to thank you for um, taking the time uh, to speak with us about this. And also, one other thing, Rosalie, mm -hmm. I want you to win all your races. I want us <laughs> to win. I want us all to win as as humans uh, in 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 making this uh, a safer place um, uh, for you, uh, for all of us and, and your people. I I, I want to thank you. Deeply um, for spending the time with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It um, it's very reassuring to know that there are allies out there who, just like as you said, who take this issue as as their own, and that to me is is all the progress you know that I need to see is is when I see um, somebody who who wants this issue acknowledged, um, addressed, and eventually fixed. I mean that's. That's great, honestly. <laughs> thank you. Rosalie Fish, thank you so much and hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah, definitely. Me too. Bye now. Bye. You are listening to Something Rather Than Nothing.